coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And I can't tell you how much better I feel. I may even sound a little better today. Uh, so I went to the doctor this morning to find out what has just been like whipping me, man. And uh, I told you, I, you know, I did, did COVID tests at home. They kept coming back negative, And so I was grateful for that, but also concerned because you hear about false negatives, at which point you go, well, why are we taking COVID tests if they're going to give you a bunch of negatives? Anyway, turns out I, I, I don't have COVID. Um, and apparently my earliest suspicions, allergies, Monday, were revealed to be the case, but that somewhere along the way, we don't know if it was maybe the flu or just a nasty cold, something kind of combined and just knocked me off my duff, like Tuesday and a lot of Wednesday. Wednesday, we were saved on the show by the public safety, was it Tuesday? It was Tuesday, wasn't it? The public safety uh, committee hearing on SB 140. Uh, Wednesday, we just, there was just no show. I just couldn't do it. There was nothing to do. I was exhausted and sick and blah, 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 blah. So, um, anyway, the doctor said, uh, why don't you go and get the generic version of Flonase and give that a try? And he, now he said it might take a couple days for this to take effect, but whatever, whatever this generic version of Flonase is, it's got me feeling like a new man today. I'm you're you're getting a full show. You're getting a full show, and you're gonna like it. Anyway, welcome to the Ron Show for Friday. Uh, you know, does it not sound like I'm in a Friday mood? <laughs> not that I work much this week, but man, uh, being sick is kind of exhausting too. Like I've gotten a lot of sleep. I think some of that is Robitussin induced at night, but um, I'm still kind of exhausted and ready to head into a weekend and looking forward to uh, start a softball season. Although the weather for Sunday, good grief. It's going to be like the coldest day of March. May even colder than any day in February from what I can remember. But uh, nonetheless, ready for the weekend. And uh, we've got stuff to talk about, so let's get to it. So first things first, how about this? A valiant effort by the Kennesaw State men's basketball team falling just short. They were leading most of today's game against uh, Xavier, who was, I think, favored to win by 12 and a half. Uh they lost by five against Xavier. I mean, that was a three seed against a 14 seed. And Kennesaw State controlled most of the game, but they went ice cold the last six minutes. I think I think the score in that six-minute stretch was 24 to six. And suffice to say, a 13-point lead disappeared. And here we are licking our wounds a little bit, but still pretty proud, man. Kennesaw State did really good today and a fantastic job this season from uh, the entire staff, coaching staff, and uh, players there to put Kennesaw State on the map. I mean, I know March Madness is one of those uh, magical sporting events. The first two days of the college basketball tournament, to me, are like some of the best two days of televised sports to watch. Because every year, every year, you have one or two of those, oh my God, who who just beat who kind of games? Uh, like Like Princeton? Princeton winning yesterday? Princeton? The smart guys? All right. I'm with it. Uh, so, Kennesaw State, valiant effort. You guys are on the map now. And uh, 
it, it looks like since Georgia Tech's not going to hire Kennesaw's coach, Kennesaw's coach might be here a little while longer, and that's not bad, right? Grow that program a little bit more, man. Let's get some more uh, top-tier talent into Kennesaw and, uh, and keep the Owls uh, fighting in the Atlantic sun. I mean, don't, don't recruit so well that we can't get some of these in-state four- and five-star players to play at Georgia because it's Georgia. Come on, man. Anyway, congrats, Kennesaw State. A fantastic season. Nothing to hang your hats about. Uh, keep your heads high. Uh, fantastic job. It was fun to watch today. Um, i tell you who else felt short. Uh, the Buckhead City movement, obviously. Actually, they didn't even get within five points. Uh, and it looks like the Atlanta Police Training Facility, not as popular with the public as uh, officials who have been staunchly backing this all along might have believed. Uh, Emory University doing some polling today, and according to the AJC, the uh, the faculty at Emory uh, did a poll that shows that a majority of Buckhead residents di- didn't want a city. They didn't want a, a, a Buckhead city. <laughs> um, they also did uh, a, 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 another question here. Oh, first of all, let's get to the numbers. 41% of Buckhead residents said that they uh, supported uh, seceding from Atlanta. 5% saying that they weren't sure. 54% against splitting. So it was 54 to 41. It would have been at best 54-46 if the 5% who said that you know, they didn't know, didn't care, would have weighed in for it. So it's, I mean, it's that's a pretty large margin. That's a, that's not good. Maybe we just let that one rest. Uh, let's see. There was also, um, oh, and, and outside city limits, only 17% of non-Buckhead residents favored uh the process of the Buckhead portion of Atlanta leaving the city. They did another question about the Atlanta Police Training Center. Um, under half of Atlanta, uh, residents polled support it, 48%. 46% opposed. So uh, that I guess that leaves, uh, what are we looking at, 6% there who, who didn't weigh in one way or the other. Um, that's not exactly a mandate, guys. And by the way, let me go back to the, uh, the to the Buckhead thing real quick. I'm telling you, I'm watching this happen back in my hometown of Augusta. Augusta, everybody thinks, when you know, when you hear the word Augusta, you know where Augusta is. Augusta, it's right there on the river, on the state line, on your way to South Carolina. Masters Golf Tournament, the tournament, is uh, held there every uh, April. The Masters Golf Tournament, one of the one of the greater TV spectacles. That, that Masters Sunday is just fantastic, right? Even if you don't like golf, I don't like golf, but I do like watching Masters Sunday. Um, I also like those pimento cheese sandwiches. I miss those. Um, so now there's this there's this movement to kick the tires on. Like I don't understand why they would want to do this now after seeing Buckhead City fail so spectacularly. But there's this movement, this push to take some of the richer portions of Augusta and leave this the 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 Augusta Richmond County government. See, Augusta and Richmond County are consolidated governments, except for, I think, uh, the city of Hepzibah and like a little donut around it and McBean and the little donut around McBean. The rest of the county is Augusta, Richmond County. So now there is this movement to peel off some of the more well-off neighborhoods in uh, West Augusta, closest to Columbia County, the bedroom community here. National Hills and Montclair and the Washington Road Corridor, where the golf uh, course, the uh, the Augusta National Golf Course is, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to take the good stuff and then leave the rest for a struggling, um, economically uh, pillaged shell of a former city of Augusta to deal with. Which, I don't know. I just, this stuff, it, it cracks me up. It just cracks me up that this, this continues to come up in conversation because it doesn't solve anything. In fact, in all likelihood, it, it takes whatever concerns these folks have, uh, you know, crime, uh, homelessness, I mean, what, what else? Tax. It, it just exacerbates these problems. You're going to weaken the largest city in your metro area and think that somehow that's going to fix crime? Um, no. It's not going to create opportunity where opportunity isn't existing currently so that folks don't find themselves turning to crime, right? It just, I don't know, it just blows my mind that these conversations keep happening. This is just, this is kind of like... Uh, Self harm, you know, you know, you know the meme where the uh, the guy's uh, riding a bike, but also holding a stick in his right hand and, and putting putting the stick in the spoke, <laughs> and then of course he falls off the bike because he's sticking the stick in the spoke. Yeah, and then he's complaining it's somebody else's fault. Well, who did that to me? Exactly. These uh, repercussions of divisive politics from conservatism, stretching back from Reconstruction to Jim Crow. Uh, to even now, they, they continue to inconvenience conservatives and doing a whole lot worse to the marginalized, by the way. But they keep seeking solutions that'll just continue to exacerbate the issues plaguing cities, counties, metro area states, and these United States of America. But they're going to keep trying, man. They got to take their ball and go home. They want to have their own little yard signs, their own little hats, their own little community. And then they can say, well, that's not my, not my city. It's not my president. Remember Marjorie Taylor Greene wanted to do the national divorce, the red states and the blue states? Of course, she's completely unaware that, A, she doesn't live in a red state. Uh, B, that the blue states fund the red states. They think they're putting more into the federal coffers than they're taking back, and the red states are taking back more than they're putting, you know? <laughs> but she wanted a national divorce. Why is that always their their response? If we don't win, if we don't win the elections, then it then we either back in the twentieth centuries it was we're just going to move. For, well, I mean, remember at first after after the Civil War, African Americans got the right to vote, and they started winning elections. And next thing you know, there are lynchings and Reconstruction's over, and Jim Crow's ushered in, and. There's all these obstacles to voting and poll taxes and uh, constitutional quizzes and stuff like that. And then during the civil rights movement, after the civil rights movement, you know, white conservatives then were like, "Well, if we're outnumbered, we're just going to move. We'll just move. We'll just move out out into the uh, to the sticks and create our own majority. And let them do what they're going to do." <laughs> Taking all, of course, the economic benefit and leaving behind uh, huge infrastructures that needed funding for the jobs that they were still coming into town to work for and that their station wagons and trucks and minivans and SUVs would need vehicles to stay in good shape for so they could get to and from the grocery store or to or from their jobs. To now, well, moving is hard. It, it is. It sucks. It's a beating. I, I work in real estate. I know this. It's a beating. 
So now they're just like, well, can we, can't we just secede? Can't we just divorce our city? So lazy. Intellectually and otherwise, it's just absolute laziness. So we'll, we'll keep our eye on that uh, from afar. I, I, again, I, I know I'm from Atlanta. A lot of you live in Atlanta. And you may not care. But I'm telling you, the, the Buckhead City thing may be dead for a while. Uh, we don't seem to see any inkling of life coming back to it in this Emory University poll. We'll have that in sh- today's show notes at ronshowetl.com, by the way. Uh, it seems to indicate that the public ain't interested. Not even uh, particularly the ones in all of Atlanta, but specifically the ones in Buckhead. 54 against 41-4. Yeah, nobody's clamoring for this except Bill White and his golf course Bubba Brigade. <clears throat> you can tell I feel better, don't you? Right? I'm, I'm fired up today. That SB 140 bill, just the way that went, that just pissed me off. But I, I've spent enough time talking about that. We can hope for things to happen in the Senate. Maybe Governor Kemp will have a shred of compassion. I don't know. Anyway, more Ron Show after this. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Follow the Ron Show on Twitter at Ron Show ATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. You know, in all this conversation about gender-affirming care, and genital mutilation. These terms. You're mutilating their genitals. Do you know what a little boy has to go through of a certain religion? The old wick up, though, snip. There's a whole religious ceremony behind it. That's literally a mutilation of that little boy's genitals. When has some conservative drafted a bill to make illegal the barbaric that's what I said barbaric act of circumcision anyone? anyone? perhaps maybe when this bill which is supposed to head back to the senate comes up for discussion again, maybe it would behoove Democrats in the Senate to add that provision to the bill. Can, can you do that at that point? Can you add an amendment? Can the Senate add an amendment or is it just that? Nonetheless, why did this not come up? That's genital mutilation, is it not? Like you're literally cutting off. I, mean, I, 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 I don't remember having it, so I don't know what I'm, I literally don't know what I'm missing out on, but uh, the way it's described to me, it, it, it's painful, it's, it is a, it is an alteration, a pretty big alteration, well, not that I'm trying to, break. nonetheless, I'm just saying, why did this not come up, this should have been a discussion as well, right, since we're talking about genital mutilation, this is one of those provocative terms like when uh, when a pro-lifer wants to talk about saving a baby, saving that baby at five weeks, at six weeks, it's not a baby. In fact, in a lot of religions, it's not a baby till it's born. Judaism, for one, it's not a baby, five, six weeks. But that's, you know, one of those terms that kind of evokes emotion. Same with genital mutilation, man. Irreversible. I mean, 
the term irreversible implies that someone who goes through this transition wishes to reverse in the first place might be irreversible, but uh, if you don't wish to reverse it, does it matter? Hey, let's give credit where it's due. A friend of the show, Jake Bookman, wrote a really good column yesterday at uh, georgiarecorder.com talking about Senate Bill 233. That is uh, Senator Craig Dolezal's uh, school voucher bill. Uh, He starts off this line that's pretty stinging. State Senator Craig Dolezal argued on the floor of the Georgia Senate this month that his school voucher bill offers students and parents a way out of low-performing public schools. It does not. He adds, furthermore, it is not intended to do so. Like most voucher proposals, it's an attempt to funnel taxpayer money out of public schools to subsidize private school tuition for the middle and upper class students using the plight of poor students as the excuse. He does, he does concede, Jay does concede in this, co- in this uh, column. Let's acknowledge that plight is very real. As Dolezal noted, there are 22 elementary schools in Georgia last year in which at least three-fourths of third graders cannot read on grade level. There were 10 middle schools in which 0% of 8th graders, not a single child, scored proficient in math. But Jay goes on to write, Dolezal, a Republican from coming, did not identify those schools, but most, if not all, are undoubtedly in poor areas of the state, areas where families struggle to make ends meet. These are families struggling to make rent and pay bills, often unsuccessfully. Dolezal's proposal, Senate Bill 233, offers those families a $6,000 voucher that they can put towards alternatives to public school such as private school tuition. However, private school tuition in established schools costs two to three times that much. (laughs) It'd be like handing out White Castle coupons for free burgers at the Atlanta airport. What the hell are you going to do with those here? White Castles. Or, okay, here's here's an even better one. Uh, We're going to give you 50% off your meal at Ruth Chris Steakhouse. I hear it's really good, but the only reason I hear it's really good, and I don't know for a fact, it's because I can't afford to go there, even if it was 50% off. I'm not spending that kind of money on a steak. That's a worthless coupon. But if you gave that coupon to somebody who goes all the time, well, they got the benefit. That's exactly what this is. It's another opportunity for the American taxpayer to pay for a tax cut for the better off. And Jay Bookman writes about this, uh, how, how this played out in Arizona, for example, to, to bear that out. He said in 2017, the Arizona legislature passed a voucher bill, much like the one now proposed here. Public outrage was so strong that a petition drive led to a referendum on the voucher bill, and again, voters rejected it by a two-to-one vote. Five years later, though, not to be deterred, Republicans can never be deterred. The Arizona legislature again defied the clear will of the people and again passed a voucher program, but this time opponents have failed to generate enough signatures to put it on the ballot again. wonder if the threshold has changed. As a result, the program has been allowed to go into effect. And sure enough, last fall, 75% of those applying for vouchers in Arizona were already sending their kids to private school. The money didn't open many private school doors to families whom economics had priced out of the option. It used taxpayer money to subsidize people wealthy enough to already have that choice, just as critics had warned. That's all this is. Taxpayer money, our, our money taken to give to the wealthier so that they can have a a cut on the lifestyle that they've grown accustomed to. I mean, y'all know we, we just exist to to please and to, to prop up the wealthy, right? That just seems to be the case. 
even in Senator Dolezal's home county, Forsyth County, Horizon Christian Academy charges $14,250 a year for high school. Jay Bookman continues to write, Pinecrest Academy charges $21,750 a year. At the best private schools in the state, tuition is pushing $50,000 a year. What the hell is a poor family going to do with a $6,000 voucher, y'all? Not a damn thing. Not a damn thing. It's just a tax cut for the wealthy funded by you and I. We will share Jay's column in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Also on all the podcast platforms, we put our show notes in there for you as well, okay? And you know what? I got to get Jay on. Jay's not been on with us in quite a while. He's always a fountain of information and fantastic conversation as well. I've actually, I I had stuff lined up this week and I had to cancel it all because I I could just barely keep my eyes open or my, my head upright because I've been sick as a dog the last few days. I'm only just now starting to feel like myself. I don't know that I sound like myself, but it's got to be better than the last few days, right? More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. Does it sound weird for a gay man to say I'm really drawn to intellectual women? I really am. Like smart women just, ah. I could just sit there and bask in their glow and and watch them work and, and and listen to them and learn from them and I don't I don't know what that is. I, I will say this, you know, I grew up for, first of all, this past week's Abbott Elementary episode was beautiful. There's been a little bit of a story arc in that TV show. For those that don't know, Abbott Elementary is a sitcom on ABC. It's won a lot of awards. It's very cute. It's kind of shot similar uh, in similar fashion to the way Modern Family was, where it was almost like a documentary was being filmed, and the characters in the show knew that, which is why sometimes they would acknowledge the camera, you know, look right at the camera and just kind of shrug or give a reaction to something that happened, whatever. So in this season of Abbott Elementary, there's a story arc where a gentleman who used to attend Abbott Elementary when he was a little boy is now a successful businessman and is launching uh, a bunch of charter schools in and around Philadelphia. And the teachers are opposed to it, obviously. And the parents seem kind of indifferent to it until they learn some things about the fact that charter schools don't have to accept you if, even if you you know went to that school before. That sort of limits your options, Right. Where, where, do you, where does your kid go if, if the public school that they were attending goes charter and that school just decides, little Johnny, little Jackie, they just, they just don't cut it intellectually, grade-wise, or, or their physical or developmental limitations just look bad on a ledger. Charter school can say, well, we, we can't let the grade curve get to dragging us down, so little Johnny and Jackie's going to get to go find a public school. But if you've turned a public school charter, now they have to go further from their home to go to school. You're busing kids then, right? Anyway, Abbott Elementary uh, features <laughs> career renaissance for actress Cheryl Lee Ralph, who has enjoyed uh, Screen Actors Guild Awards, uh, Primetime Emmy. She was the first black woman in 35 years to win an award for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. She sang before the Super Bowl. I mean, she's... Anyway, Barbara Howard is her character, and she is just one of those, 
strong, intellectual women. And she reminds me, in some ways, to like my second grade teacher, Miss Cuffy. Who she was tough. Miss mm. Tolan was too. But Miss Tolan was a little bit more of a, like the, the teddy bear type. You know, first grade teacher, I guess you're going to be that way. But come second grade, it's mind your P's and Q's. And then there was Miss Montgomery in third grade. Had Miss Downs, fourth and fifth grade social studies. A lot of women of color. A lot of women of color really factored into my upbringing. So maybe that's why I'm just drawn to smart, driven women. Because I've just been surrounded by them so much since childhood that it's just innate. Dr. Michelle Au was one of those. She, by the way, managed to get a hearing on a gun safety measure in a GOP-controlled House of Representatives. Good for her. I'm telling you, she's going places. She's just one of those that you just kind of want to watch. And I'm not sure that the next time the gubernatorial race comes up, if she's ready to make that leap. But I wouldn't say no to that idea. And I'm not saying I would say no to the idea of Stacey Abrams running for a third term. She is making noise, at least according to the AJC, about making a third run, although she's being sort of ambiguous with the uh, statement, which was, political office is simply one tool for the issues I am committed to tackling, and I will engage all sectors to serve. I mean, that's kind of a wordy, haiku-ish almost answer, but it's not, it's not saying you're not going to run for the same office for a third term and hope to prevail. And I'm not saying she shouldn't. I am, however, saying, uh, again, as someone who has just long admired and been drawn to driven, motivated, smart women, I don't understand. I don't understand the disconnect between reality and whatever glimmer of potential still remains in Stacy's mind about running for this office. And this is no slight to her on policy because she's pretty spot on on policy. But I almost feel like Stacey Abrams only wins if she goes up against a Trumpian kind of candidate. And quite honestly, Hillary Clinton was the most qualified woman to ever run for the presidency of the United States. And because of electoral college quirkiness, she still didn't defeat Donald Trump. It's not even about policy. It's it's about a lot more than that. And in the state of Georgia, you can't you can't run a a close but no cigar race in 2018, and then run again in 2022 and actually take a step back numbers wise, back to numbers we were getting when Jason Carter was running for governor. Remember him? I mean, I, I'm not sitting here pretending to say that. Well. Raphael Warnock won re-election. I mean, he, he too needed a runoff against a, a not bright non-citizen of the state to even do that. I've said all along that the numbers still aren't really there for Democrats to gloat, to puff our chest out and say, we're a blue state. We're not a blue state. We're a purple state leaning a little to the red. But What's Stacy going to do between now and 2026 to better her odds? There's got to be there's got to be a, a, almost a, a bit of a makeover on her, and I don't mean that like hair and nails and fitness and all that stuff. I'm talking about 
strategy. I'm talking about personableness. I, I, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit of a visceration of support within the Democratic Party for Stacey Abrams in the state of Georgia. Not that people aren't grateful. Oh, no. Everyone's grateful for all the work that she's done to defend voter rights, to build the apparatuses that exist, apparati, that exist for voter registration and engagement, uh, the ground game. I mean, it, it was all of that that nearly won her the governorship in 2018, when I would argue in 2018, she probably, she didn't have any business being that close. Honestly, remember back then in 2018, she's talking about wiping the face of the, uh, of Stone Mountain. I mean, there's just things that like, I mean, we can all agree that a Confederate etching on Stone Mountain is kind of crazy, right? But it's been up there so long. What are you going to, how do you, you can't just blast. It's, it's political suicide to even talk about it, but she did. And she still damn near beat Brian Kemp, who wasn't at the time a, a, a strong candidate himself. What people most remembered about his candidacy was his outrageous TV commercials, sitting there with a rifle or a shotgun pointed at a teenage boy. Come near my daughter, I may have to shoot you. I'm not saying, in fact, I'm not even going to try and pit like a Dr. Michelle Au versus a Stacey Abrams. But if you're asking me who I'd be excited about running in 2026 for the gubernatorial party nomination, I mean, I'd, I've got to see a lot more from Stacey Abrams other than working the safe blue spots in the state. I got to see her engaging folks in Dalton, Georgia. Go into Marjorie's district, damn it. I'd be right there with you. Right behind you. Head into southwest Georgia. When uh, Senator Jones won the state of Alabama, they used the, the rural southern black belt of the state to bring out the vote. Friend of the show, Keith McCants, lives in southeast Georgia near Swainsboro. Got to get those voters out. There are plenty of voters outside Metro Atlanta, outside Metro Augusta, outside Metro Columbus and Macon and Savannah and Athens. Those are all safe spots, and you've got to shore up those votes too, no doubt about it. But you know who brings the blue votes out? Polling well in other spots. I feel like a parrot because I say this all the time. The best way to de-weaponize caricaturization, demonization by your opponent is to go out and meet the people who have been taught that you're just this evil, awful creature. Go show them you're not. They may not vote for you, but somebody around them might see that and go, yeah, you know, that's Stacy. She's all right. And she made a lot of sense. Stacy does a really good job talking the topics and in a way that makes sense 
You know, it's it's not talking over. Sometimes, like I love Elizabeth Warren, but sometimes Elizabeth Warren can talk so smart. You're like, I gotta Google half of this to know what you're talking about. Robert Reich is the same way. Oh man, he 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 can talk brilliant. And then sometimes you're like, I'm an idiot. Stacey Abrams, I think, speaks to people on their level in a way that folks get. But you can't just do it at uh, an inner city rally in a major city and then expect, you know, the the Ludawissi vote to turn out for you if you didn't go to Ludawissi. I knew about Ludawissi because I have a friend from middle school, or a classmate in middle school, whose family was from Ludawissi. And I'm like, how do you say that? And he, Ludawissi, say it again. Anyway. Okay, but back to Dr. Al, who got a hearing in the GOP-led House for a safe gun storage bill. We're just talking about gun storage, not not gun rights, gun storage. And Republicans still, I thought they were about protecting our kids. Oh, trans kids from themselves, but not if the trans kid has a gun. Anyway, I want you to listen to uh, Dr. Mark Rosenberg, who Dr. Al had testify in this panel discussion public policy committee hearing. My name is Mark Rosenberg. I'm a physician trained in infectious diseases, public policy, and psychiatry. So yes, you should worry that I can read your minds. <laughs> um, Becky Evans, my wonderful representative, Dr. Ao, and honorable members of the committee, thank you for what you're doing. This is, as you've just heard, one tough problem. It's really, really hard when you listen to both sides, but I think there's a way out, and I think we can get out of this. This is a problem that science can solve. In the 60s, this country was plagued by an epidemic of young people dying on the roads. Too many were killed, and the federal government said, we're going to stop this. We're going to invest in research, and we're going to find a way to save lives, and they did. They spent $200 million in 1970, and every single year after that. And they brought about a minor miracle. Not minor, a miracle. They redesigned the car. We now have seatbelts, airbags, front impact collision protection, rollover protection. The car is totally different now. They redesigned the roads. And they redesigned drivers. They got a lot of drunk drivers off the roads. Mm -hmm. And they saved 600,000 lives by investing money in research. It was a problem that we could tackle. And this is a problem like that. This is a problem that costs our country now $657 billion a year. You've heard in such moving terms the toll that the problem takes. And you've heard from both sides. This is a tough problem, and I want to address the elephant in the room. We have a way to solve the problem, but we're stuck. We're stuck in ways that make it really hard to arrive at consensus, that make it really hard for Republicans and Democrats to agree on what makes sense. It's turned into a high conflict like the high conflict of a really bad divorce. I think that's something, unfortunately, that all of us know about either in our family or our friends. And you get stuck not thinking about what's good for the children, 
but how you can beat your enemy mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. You remember Uvalde, where there were hundreds, hundreds of armed agents standing by while our children were being killed. That's what this country's doing. We're standing by while our children are being killed. We don't know the way to stop it. And neither the proponents of gun rights that you heard eloquently expressed this morning, nor the proponents of gun safety want their kids to be killed. So let's recognize that neither side has to dominate this, but we can do things to save lives. This intervention, safe storage, is one of the most effective interventions proven by science to work. And we can do it without taking guns away. Why do I have some belief in Dr. Michelle Au for higher aspirations? This is a gun safety bill that isn't a gun control bill, and she's got Republicans listening to it anyway. Will they vote for it? I don't know. Anyway, let's talk a little bit more about this after we come back from the More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Follow The Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Last segment of the week, and I, I feel I feel bad like I'm celebrating a full work. I did not work a full week this week. I don't even think I did a full show this week. No, I did Tuesday, sort of, because we had that whole committee hearing. But I, I didn't have to talk much. I just, like you guys, listened to it and chimed in on occasion. Had a half show Monday, no show Wednesday, half show Thursday. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. I kind of mailed it in. But I've been I've been sick as a dog. Today's the first day I've really felt like I could do an entire show today. And doggone it if I'm not on the last segment of doing it. So we were uh, talking uh, right before the break about this, uh, uh, you know, gun safety legislation. It's uh, like a gun safety storage bill. House Bill 161 would make it a crime to allow a gun to get into the hands of an unsupervised child. Now, if the bill becomes law, it would be a high-end aggravated misdemeanor punishable by a fine of up to $5,000 to even allow a child access to a gun if the child fires it and injures or kills someone. There would be exceptions, including if the child was being supervised by an adult for hunting or sports shooting, or if the kid stole the gun on a robbery, or if the kid shot someone in lawful self-defense. But this is all about securing, as an adult, your gun or guns, from the hands of kids in a manner that they don't either either need to have access to it or you've granted them access without being dutiful about what their intentions were to do with it. Why is that not law already? But I was talking about Dr. Michelle Al, again, friend of the show. I like her. We've had her on. In fact, uh, I saw her uh, last week, week and a half ago. We talked about getting her on again after a legislative session closes. I was happy to hear that. That was nice. Very cool lady. I could see her running for governor. And this is one of the reasons why I could see this happening. This is legislation. A, she even got a hearing. The Georgia House Majority Leader granted her a public safety hearing on this bill. And... Why, why would a Republican not vote for this? And if this saves tens, hundreds, thousands, thousands of lives per year in accidental gun discharges, 
that's a good thing, right? I mean, probably reaching high numbers-wise there as far as this being a state law, but if if this bill saves 20, 50, 100 people a year in the state of Georgia from accidental gun deaths, who could disagree with that? Might I also cynically point out now that SB 140, this uh, anti-trans youth gender-affirming care bill has made its way back to the Senate and likely the governor's desk, is this now that time to point out that nearly three in five gun deaths in Georgia each year are attributed to suicide? Hmm. Okay, so in 2019, there were 1,695 gun deaths in Georgia, 163 kids and teens, and nearly three in five of those were suicides. Uh, I'm not sure how many of them were youth suicides, but if we have some sort of legislation that doesn't infringe on anyone's Second Amendment right, but just insists that they have and bear some and show some responsibility for possession of their firearm, accessibility to their firearm, or else high-end misdemeanor, $5,000 fine, Minimum, I mean, $5,000 if somebody dies accidentally because you didn't store your gun. Pardon me, but I think you're getting off kind of cheap. No, this is this is a bill that should be a no-brainer. And like I said, Dr. Michelle Au, a Democrat, has a Republican-majority House having a conversation about it in committee. And I'm not one of those, I'm not one of those progressives that believes, oh, you got to reach across the aisle. I don't like that usually. I really don't. But when you are in the minority in a state that's gerrymandered pretty well to make sure that that'll always be the case for the foreseeable future, common sense stuff like this, if she's able to get this across, I'm sorry, that's that's a big deal. That's one that she say, this is why you watch you watch her ascension. Anyway, that's all I gotta say about that. All right, before we wrap the show, since we're talking about strong women, it is Women's History Month, and we've uh, tried to spotlight each day that I've been healthy enough to do so. Uh, Some of the more powerful women in history. Uh, In 1910, it was the Campfire Girls who were established as the first interracial, non-sectarian American organization for girls on this day in 1910. Loretta Perfectus Walsh became the first woman to join the Navy and the first woman to officially join the military in a role other than a nurse. Born on this day, Loretta Perfectus Walsh in 1917. Alice Greenow Orr was born today in 1902. She was, oh my God, a professional rodeo rider and toured around the world. Oh my God, she reminds me of my grandma. I bet if I pulled up a picture, she would look just like my grandma. Hold up, I'm going to do that. Y'all, do you know what she does? Oh my God, my grandmother back in the day. I mean, she was she was like a frontier frontier girl back in the day. She was she lived out in the country, and I think she lived in Minnesota and used to go bear hunting and stuff like that. There there were pictures of my and I've seen these pictures of my grandmother uh, with a bear that she had hunted slung over the hood of you know her nineteen forty whatever Chrysler or whatever that big old hoopty car of hers was at the time. 
All right, I got about 20 seconds left. Thanks for listening, and thanks for letting me struggle through this week between the allergies and the doctor said it was a cold, maybe. Uh, Flonase to the rescue, or the generic version of Flonase to the rescue. Anyway, I will see you guys uh, Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app and on all the major podcast platforms after 6 p.m. Just look for the back of my head on the Ron Show logo, and we'll see you there.